I believe that every true Christian is secure in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean that if we sin, we don't experience consequences. And David is a picture of a believer who have sinned against God, repented, experienced forgiveness, but is reaping the consequences. And there's going to be a chapter and chapters to come full of poetic justice. It reverberates, it ripples out into David's life, and the consequences are sad, but they are reality. We'll learn more about how that works and how we can avoid such things today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever, 15.4, was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. The author is Paul of the book of Romans. He says, The things that were written in earlier times, probably a primary reference to the Old Testament, notice the phrase earlier times, was written for our instruction, our learning, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, may the God who gives perseverance, God is the one who gives it. If you're feeling like giving up, God will give you perseverance. And he gives encouragement, notice. Grant to you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. If you keep going to your right, there's 2 Timothy. It's a little bit further on to the right. Just keep turning pages till you get to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a familiar section, but I just want to remind you, this is another statement about the value of Scripture, namely, as we go through the Old Testament, 2 Timothy 3.16, same author, Paul, who had a lot of mistakes in his background, a lot that he could regret himself, said, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, not some, but all scripture is inspired by God, literally breathed out by God, and is profitable. Notice the list. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man or the woman of God, all followers of Jesus Christ might be adequate, equipped for how many? For every good work. Now, I want you to keep those scriptures in mind as we turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel 13, Monday morning quarterback. You may have noticed in my uh, title here and in the graphic up there, that's not a typo, by the way. The word morning is not misspelled because I have something in mind that's different than just Monday morning as in the early morning hours. The word morning was spelled that way because this section brings up issues of mourning over sin and regret. David was living with a couple promises clearly in the rearview mirror. Here's what they were. In 2 Samuel 7, God told him, I will build a house for you. I will make a house for you. And he promised that from his own body, from his loins, he, he gave him what we call the Davidic covenant, that the, the throne of David would ultimately uh, bring about the coming of the Messiah, the greater David, who would bring deliverance to the world. So David had been given that covenant that 
One of his offspring, one of his future generations, namely Jesus, would rule on the throne of David. And that, ruler, that rule would never cease, we're told in other scriptures. He had that. And then in 2 Samuel 12, he was told something else. He was told that what he had done with Bathsheba, the sin that he had committed in the sexual sin of adultery and the murder of Uriah, that the sword would never leave his house and that what he had done secretly, God was going to allow to take place openly. He was living in the promise that God was faithful and that covenant, that Davidic covenant from the line of David would not shift or change despite David's own weaknesses. But yet, God also told him he was going to pay some significant consequences for his actions in that fall that we read about in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And life is kind of that way. We live our lives. Here's, here's the personal application before we get into the story. We live our lives in the new covenant. We are loved by Christ. He saved a wretch like me. But decisions that I make within that framework of the time that I have on this planet do bear out consequences. That is, whatever a man uh, sows to, he will also what? He will reap. You reap what you sow. Now, we are in the new covenant, praise God. It's all of Jesus. He finished the work. I can't add anything to what he's done. Amazing grace is truly amazing. But how we live our lives, what uh, kingdom we are actually serving as we live our lives is extremely important. And here's the account, and it's, it is a, it's a deeply profound story. It's probably going to hit a lot of us very deeply, but here is the record. Now, it was after this, 2 Samuel 13, 1, that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, what we know about David's family life is that he had broken the law and he had become polygamous. He had, he had multiple wives. And so from these different wives, he had children. The children, if you want to just note, uh, that are recorded, that were born to him in Hebron, are recorded in 2 Samuel 3, verses 2 through 5. But there, his wives are named, and children that are born to David are named there. 2 Samuel 3, verses 2 through 5. In that list of children that are in that uh, verse I just gave you, Absalom is named, and so is Amnon. Now, they were brothers, but they were from different moms. So Tamar was actually the sister of Absalom from the same mom, Amnon was a half-brother. So you're already getting major characters in verse 1, just like when you watch a movie and some of the main characters are introduced to you. That's kind of what you get in verse 1. You have Absalom. By the way, if you take a, just a close look at his name, Abba is father in Hebrew. And Salam, or it's a form of Shalom, is peace. So Absalom's name actually could be translated father of peace. But this is not going to be a very peaceful episode. So he's the son of David. There's a beautiful sister, Tamar, and Amnon is also the son of David. And notice it says that Amnon loved her. Amnon, the son of David, loved Tamar. He loved his half-sister. This story is going to cause a lot of mourning, as I mentioned. And in many ways, uh, I have here in my notes that David has, will become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
He would become a man of sorrows, much like it was said of Jesus on Isaiah 53.3. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, because he had to bear our grief and our sorrows. So we need to read the story in the shadow of the cross. And of course, our own stories, we need to make sure that they're rooted in the shadow of the cross. But here's the real issue that we have. Even after becoming a Christian, we have a struggle. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. In James 1, verses 13 through 16, just write it down. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one, is, uh, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's James 1, 13 through 16. James 4, verses 2 through 4, says something very similar. Uh, that, you know, we have not because we don't ask. We ask a miss that we might spend it on our own pleasures. We have a problem in our world, a problem in our fallen natures of lust. And a lust um, in, in this set, setting, in this context, would be a longing for what is forbidden. And that's what happens in the case of Amnon. Amnon begins to lust after his sister, and he's longing for that which is forbidden. He's not to touch her, that relationship is wrong. The Old Testament makes it clear. The law makes it clear. There's no relationship that it should exist between uh, the, this, this kind of familial relationship. And Amnon was so frustrated, verse 2, the ESV said he's tormented because of his sister Tamar, that he made himself ill. For she was a virgin, and it seemed hard, or ESV, NIV, impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. Now, as Amnon watched his sister and interacted with her and maybe watched her from a distance, he began to have feelings, lustful feelings towards her. The biblical account is going to say that he loved her, but I don't think he really loved her. I think he was in lust for her, but I don't think he really loved her. And so as the, as the days went by and he would see her or interact with her, he began to continue to fan the flame of that lust. And he began to think and ponder. And it, she was a beautiful young woman. And, and, you know, I've said in the past that appreciation of beauty is one thing, but lust is when you begin to take it to the point where you begin to imagine what you would do to that person or you want to be with that person. And it is... It is obviously out of bounds. And this situation, of course, is doubly out of bounds for Amnon, but he, he continued to let it fester. And this is, this is one of the problems, and this is what James 1 is really saying. It's saying, look, when you have a lust problem, you have to decide not to feed it. If you feed sin, it will become bigger and bigger. If you starve it, it will die. If you cut off 
sin, that is, you don't feed it, you don't ponder it, you don't allow yourself to have access to things that stumble you, eventually, and I, I want to give you encouragement because some of you have been struggling with habitual sin patterns, those habitual sin patterns can be broken. Hey, listening family, I want to tell you a little bit more about the store at walkintruth.com, and I'd like to highlight a teaching we have up there. It's called The Anatomy of a Fall, and it's from 2 Samuel 11 and 12. How can we keep from falling to sexual sin in a culture like ours? Well, we've tackled this and put it on the radio recently. I know you can benefit from it. You can also pass it along to a friend. It's available in CD and DVD format. And you go to walkintruth.com, click on the store. And when you purchase a product, you are partnering with us to help us reach more people like you. When you buy something, it goes directly to paying for radio airtime. So walkintruth.com, click on the store and look for the anatomy of a fall. Purchase it, pass it along to somebody else, and you'll be partnering with this radio ministry. We appreciate it. God bless you. You have to decide not to feed it. If you feed sin, it will become bigger and bigger. If you starve it, it will die. If you cut off sin, that is, you don't feed it, you don't ponder it, you don't allow yourself to have access to things that stumble you, eventually, and I, I want to give you encouragement because some of you have been struggling with habitual sin patterns, those habitual sin patterns can be broken. They can be. But if you feed them, be assured that that lust will become bigger and bigger and it will envelop your life to the point where sometimes you'll have a hard time thinking of anything else. And with the problems we have in our society, we've mentioned pornography and other things in the past, people continue to feed their lusts and they eventually act out on their lust because they get consumed by it and then the enemy uses it. And so Amnon was frustrated, and he was thinking of ways that he could be with his sister, but every time he examined a different angle, he realized he couldn't. And maybe part of the, the challenge that he was running into, and I put challenge in quotes, is he was thinking of Absalom, her brother, and what would happen if he ever said something or tried something. But Amnon had a friend, and you might want to put friend in quotes because he's really not a true friend. Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. We'll find out later that Jonadab is David's nephew. He was the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd or crafty man. Now, the word for shrewd here is a Hebrew word which can mean wise. Sometimes in a positive sense, it means wise, but it can also mean cunning, crafty. And Jonadab shows up in the account as Amnon is, has this unhealthy view of his sister, and Jonadab, the so-called friend, is now introduced to us. He's another character in the account. The wisdom that he's going to give to his, to his friend, so-called Amnon, is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil, James 3.15. Let me just give you an application point. If you have a so-called friend who is trying to give you angles to commit sin, then can I say that person is not your friend? 
1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. If you have a friend that's been bringing you down and trying to talk you into compromise, they are no friend of yours. And there are Christians in the Christian church who have become bent on compromise and they'll go to certain so-called friends to hear what they want to hear and they won't go to other friends who are true friends who will tell them what they need to hear. A true friend will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. It's a good way to measure whether or not someone's actually a true friend. And he said to him, oh, son of the king, uh, Amnon was David's firstborn. We find that out in 2 Samuel 3. So he's kind of the crown prince or the heir apparent to the throne. He won't, he won't get the throne, but at this time, that's how he's seen. So Jonadab says, oh, son of the king, why are you so depressed? Uh, the ESV says, so haggard. NIV says the same thing. Morning after morning, the New King James says, you're becoming thinner day after day. Bro, you don't look so good. What's up with you? Go ahead, share it with me, brother. And every day, Amnon would wake up. You're the son of the king. What's wrong with you? Why are you depressed? I, I think a friend has a, a natural right to ask that. Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, okay, here it is. I'm in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Now, she's actually his sister. She's Amnon's sister as well. He's her half-brother. But she, at this point, he calls her the sister of Absalom. He says, I'm in love with her. It's driving me crazy, man. I can't think of anything else. But I can't be with her as well. What's, what's, a, what's a young man to do who's the crown prince? This is a bummer, man. Now, if you were Jonadab, if you were the prince's true friend, what would you say? Well, sorry, dude, but you can't have her. And you ought to just stop that thinking right now. There's plenty of girls around. She's your sister. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't give it another thought. But he didn't do that. Jonadab, this cunning so-called friend, said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend that you're ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Here's a plan. Lay down, pretend you're sick. Your dad's obviously going to come to visit you. He'll be concerned about you. And then tell him, Dad, I don't feel so good. Can you get Tamar to make me some food in my sight? And let me eat it from her hand. What? What in the world is going on? So Amnon lay down. He pretended to be ill. Some of you need to mark that because you've done that before. Heated up that thermometer. <laughs> oh, feel good. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. <laughs> now, in Hebrew, it's interesting. The word for cakes there may imply, the root word is heart, and it may imply a heart-shaped dumpling or a cake. And when you guys go out there after first service and you help out Royal Family Kids Camp, if you want, they can make a pancake shaped in a heart. Or if you want Mickey Mouse, they'll make it for you. Whatever you need, they'll make it for you. Can I, 
Picture Amnon. I need some pancakes, Dad. Heart-shaped. And let Tamar bring them to me. If she's got a puppy with her, can you bring a puppy too? Because I don't feel good. I want to pet the puppy and then I want to have the heart-shaped pancake with some cinnamon swirl syrup. <laughs> what in the world? Now, if you were dad and it was a school day, what would you say to this guy? Get your <laughs> self out of bed. <laughs> yeah. And... Go to school. She ain't making you any. Put an ego in the toaster and get moving. What do you mean you want you want to you want to eat from her hand, you wimp? <laughs> right? But no, David sent to the house for Tamar, seven, and he said, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Now What's David's problem? David's a warrior, but he's not a very good dad. And look, we've all probably can be accused of being soft on our children. Some of you may be soft on your kids. There's an old saying that every parent has to apologize to their firstborn. You'll get that in a second. Because new parents, you know, we're all, we want to take care of You take about a thousand photos, you know, in a day. Then the third one comes along. You don't have no photographs of them. They don't even know if they're part of the family. <laughs> Are there any photos of me when I was a baby? And was I adopted? Was I, was I shot down from, by aliens? You got all the pictures of him. Anyway, just the reality of life. I apologize if you're down the list of those born. But Now, David sent for her. Now, some of you may be thinking... Wow, this sounds familiar. Because David sent for Bathsheba. He inquired about her. He found out she was married, and then he sent for her. And what is going to happen in this account is eerily similar to what David did in his own fall. And it brings up some questions, and some of you have these questions. You've heard these questions asked before. There's a scripture in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and it talks about the sins of the fathers will be visited, the punishment visited on the, to the third and fourth generation. But it does say there, to those who hate me. But then it says God will be benevolent or kind to a thousand generations of those who love him. And people talk about, Maybe there are generational curses, and maybe in my family, I'm just bound to repeat the sins of my father. No, you're not. By the way, that's Old Testament law. It was written to Israel. You're in the new covenant now, and if you want to break a trend of sin in your family's life, repent of it and stop it and start a new trend. You're not bound to repeat the sins of your father or your mother, you can break that chain by God's grace. But it doesn't, also doesn't mean that mistakes that have been made in the past don't leave an imprint on future generations. And sometimes there are some proclivities towards certain behaviors that we kind of inherit from mom and dad, but it doesn't mean that we have to repeat them. My dad left our family when I was four. I never saw him again. That doesn't mean that I have to repeat what my dad did, and I didn't. In fact, I was more motivated to be a good father because of how my dad failed. Everybody with me? 
So this whole idea of generational curses, just put that aside. That's really not even biblical. Believers in the new covenant are under no curse. There is no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. None. There's no curse on you. You're in the new covenant. Now, now it really comes down to how you want to live. And so David, David should have seen through this. He should have seen through the behavior of his son. He should not have sent for Tamar, but he did. And so Tamar, like a good daughter, went to her brother, ate to Amnon's house. Apparently all the royalty in Jerusalem had their own royal residence. Amnon seems to. He was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, baked the cakes, uh, I mentioned to you they're probably something like a heart cake, and the problem was Amnon's heart because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand it? It's desperately sick. She took the pan, dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, have everyone go out of the room, so everyone went out from him. Now, he said he was hungry. He said he wanted her to prepare food, but then she prepared it, then he wouldn't eat because he was not hungry for the cakes. He wanted her. That's where his appetite lay. And Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made, brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. And when she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. I want to sleep with you. Let's be together. Now his plan has come to fruition. He says, lie with me, which is a way of uh, saying he wanted to be sexually intimate with her. And my sister has taken on an erotic tone. You can note Song of Solomon 4, verses 9 and 10 and verse 12. He, he now wants to be intimate with her. And she answered and said to him, no, my brother, 12, do not violate me. You're going to see multiple times she says, no, no, no. Don't violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Uh, there is a rape that happens of, uh, by Shechem. He rapes Dinah in Genesis 34-7. And it, it said in that account, this kind of thing does not happen in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Now, she tries to stop him, and she confronts him. And she confronts him with his identity. She says, you are... Uh, person of Israel, we are under Torah. We are under the law. This kind of thing ought not happen. And when you and I are faced with temptation, and look, we're all tempted, and to be tempted is not a sin. Even Jesus was tempted. To be tempted is not a sin. It's what you do with that temptation that really matters. Hey, listening family, I want to tell you a little bit more about the store at walkintruth.com, and I'd like to highlight a teaching we have up there. It's called The Anatomy of a Fall, and it's from 2 Samuel 11 and 12. How can we keep from falling to sexual sin in a culture like ours? Well, we've tackled this and put it on the radio recently. I know you can benefit from it. You can also pass it along to a friend. It's available in CD and DVD format. And you go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, and when you purchase a product, you are partnering with us to help us reach more people like you. When you buy something, it goes directly to paying for radio airtime. So walkintruth.com, click on the store, and look for the anatomy of a fall. Purchase it, 
pass it along to somebody else, and you'll be partnering with this radio ministry. We appreciate it. God bless you, and we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.